0: As I was planning the service this week, I sent the text and and the the name of the sermon to Matt, who usually tries to pick songs that have to do with the the sermon. And uh, he was like, "Important epaphras? What am I supposed to do with that?" So. Uh, and as soon as he said that, a little jingle started rolling through my mind. And it developed into a whole song. So kids, it's, it's ideal for like a, a VBS type song. So if you guys want to make your way like right here to the front, any kids in the back and stuff, just come on up to the front. Youth group too. Miley, this is going to be one of those little jingles that you will never forget. Go ahead and come on up here. Now the lyrics are going to be over there, so make sure you can see the lyrics. The... Uh is the guitar still on? All right. Matt, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I'll soil it. Sorry. Uh, so here's the chorus. This is the... My bad. This is the chorus right here. So we're going to sing this a few times. I want you to sing it along with me, okay? I'll, I'll show you how it goes. It goes like this. Epaphras was important Important was Epaphras He heard the word in Ephesus And went to Colossae You think you can get that? Kids, you think you can get that? Alright, here you go Let's do it again, here we go Epaphras was important Important was Epaphras he heard the word in Ephesus and went to Colossae. First verse. He spread the news of Jesus to all that he encountered. He prayed and worked for God to change the Lycus Valley. I know there's only two syllables in valley that's poetic license. All right. Verse three. And God, he heard Epaphras and blessed his work immensely. The gospel went to Hierapolis and then Laodicea. Epaphras was important. Important was Epaphras. He heard the church it started growing and people started knowing the one true God was Jesus not some other deity but soon there came a stirring a trouble there was brewing a teaching known to us as the Colossian Colossian heresy Epaphras? Epaphras was important It was Epaphras He heard the word in Ephesus Then went to Colossae Well, this disturbed Epaphras His prayers were sad and pleading He left his home and went to Rome Paul's sage advice to see right kids you can go have a seat now (laughs) so Matt there you go next week you can do that song it would warm my heart to hear that song sang next week during worship yes all right well the uh, this morning we are going to a new book uh, the book of Colossians. And today is introductory. It's an, an introduction to the book of Colossians or to the, uh, to the letter of Colossians. And I think a lot of times we may forget when we're reading through our Bibles that each time we turn our page to a new epistle, one of the letters that are in the New Testament, that there's a big story behind them. There's a, a real story with real people, with real events in real places that happened. Something happened to some people that prompted some person to write a letter to those people. And I think it's actually very fun to do the investigation work to find out what was it that prompted the writing of these letters. So today's sermon is not an exposition of the passages in Colossians. We'll get to that next week. Today's sermon is a a storytelling historical narrative. I had a, a... burst of inspired creativity this week. So as you heard from the song, I also wrote a story. So today is a expositional historical story about what might have happened that prompted the writing of Colossians. So if you're ready, I'm going to say a prayer and then we'll begin the story of important Epaphras. Bow with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning, thank you so much, God, for our time of worship. Thank you, Father, so much for our time of fellowship around your table and time to uh, as we took of the bread and the cup to ponder again your sacrifice and what you've done for us. Lord, what you did um, over 2,000 years ago or some nearly 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem on that cross in Calvary and then the resurrection that had happened three days later, Lord Jesus changed all of history. And... Um, All of the things that that happened um, in the life and lives of those people in Colossae um, happened in large part, we know about them, because of what you did for them, Lord Jesus, and the gospel message that was proclaimed there. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless the telling of the story of important Epaphras. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you want to go ahead and put that first map up there, that would be good. Many, many years ago, approaching 2,000 years ago, about 100 miles east of the Aegean Sea, in what was at the time a Roman province called Asia Minor, which today we call the country of Turkey, there were situated three cities. Following the road from the coastal city of Miletus, that ran alongside the river meander from its mouth at the Aegean Sea, travelers would eventually arrive at a place where a tributary river joined the larger meander. And this tributary river was situated in a valley that shared its name, the Lycus Valley, or va if you're a poet. (laughs) It was in this valley where the three cities were found. Their names, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, or Colossae. On one side of the valley lay Hierapolis Hierapolis and Laodicea, only about six miles apart from one another. And further, southeast on the other side of the valley, a distance from Laodicea of only about 10 or 11 miles, which is about the distance for us from Mount Healthy to Blue Ash, lay Colossae, the smallest of the three Lycus Valley cities. And this is the city which most concerns us today. Now Colossae had been around for a long time, and at an earlier point in its history, when it was under Persian rule, it had been a much more prominent and populous place. Many centuries later, now under Roman rule, it was just a shadow of its former self. It could have been that a main highway that once ran through Colossae was moved northward, closer to Laodicea and Hierapolis, and thus Colossae's loss of situation along routes of commerce caused its economy to diminish somewhat. We don't really know the cause. We can only surmise. But for whatever reason, Colossae was the smallest and least important of the three Lycus valley cities. Hierapolis was known for its hot springs, which many believed to have medicinal value and healing properties. Therefore, it was often visited by travelers. And thus, wealth increased greatly in that city. Laodicea just a little south of Hierapolis, was an important administrative hub of the region for the Roman Empire. And we know that it was a prosperous town, given that Jesus spoke of it later in his letters to the seven churches in Revelations, in chapter 3. Yet, though smaller than the other two cities, Colossae was not necessarily a poor community. Many of the cities in that region were known to be busy about the wool and dye industries of their day. And being in a valley, the hills and the mountains about them provided ample ability to feed and graze flocks of sheep, which would provide the abundant supply of wool that was the region's main source of prosperity. And given the close proximity of these cities, it would not have been uncommon in the least for Colossians to mingle with Laodiceans or with those from Hierapolis. Neighboring communities begat commercial relationships and cultural relationships, which bore friendships, and marriages between the communities. Important news that came to one town would very soon thereafter be heard in the neighboring ones. Just like today, we in Springfield Township here learn of the happenings of that in Fairfield, or Westchester, or North College Hill, and Coleraine, or Ross. And in a day when instant communication through electronic means did not exist, and rapid travel through cars and trains and airplanes was not a thing... People, when they trekked the 10 or 11 miles from Colossae to Laodicea, or vice versa, they tended to stay for a longer time at their destination. And so conversations were likely longer and slower, and the importance of face-to-face personal relationships and interactions were keenly felt by the people. They were such a part of life that they probably took it for granted. Now remember that the town of our story, Colossae, was a part of the province of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. Much like Cincinnati is a part of the state of Ohio in the United States of America. And just like Cincinnati or Dayton or Cleveland, they're not the capital cities of Ohio, Colossae or Laodicea or Hierapolis were not the capital cities of Asia Minor. That distinction fell to a much more prominent and important city of the time. And that was the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was about 100 miles or so from the Lycus Valley, and it was situated on the coast of the Aegean Sea, just north of the city of Miletus and the Meander River. And Ephesus would have been a much more bustling and populated place than any of the Lycus Valley cities. Being a coastal town and a major trade center, a place for, for commerce, and it was situated on a well-traveled road, it brought immense prosperity and a large diversity of peoples from all over the Roman Empire. And since it was stationed on the Aegean coast, Ephesus had one of the larger seaports of the ancient world, which received imported goods from all over the known world. And from Ephesus were sent exports of goods that were produced and sold in the regions and towns all over Asia Minor. So it would not have been uncommon at all for merchants and travelers to be found in Ephesus that came from Colossae, or Hierapolis, or Laodicea of the Lycus Valley, Many landowners likely made the trip routinely. Each year after the shearing of their sheep, when they had a bounty of wool to sell, they would make the trek to Ephesus. But Ephesus was not just a place from which goods and materials were spread throughout the world. It was also a place from which ideas and philosophies and religions were discussed and spread to the rest of the world. And this is where we will meet our most important character. Epaphras. Epaphras was a man of Colossae. Other than that, there's not a whole lot that we know about him, but the small amount which we do know is very important. We don't know if Epaphras was a landowner or if he was in the wool or dye industries. We don't know if he had a wife or kids, if he was rich or poor, but it would seem that Epaphras was, for some reason, had made the hundred mile journey from Colossae to Ephesus. And the reason we believe this is because of the message that he brought to Colossae. A message that had been heard in Colossae. And we know that the people heard that message from Epaphras. And most like, the most likely place that he could have heard that message was in the big city of Ephesus. The likelihood of him hearing it anywhere else was very slim. So on this presumed trip to Ephesus, Epaphras was making his way through the city. Perhaps visiting an open air market or looking through shops in order to find some merchandise that he needed. Or maybe he was selling something. We don't know. But around him, conversations would have been going on all over the place. And he himself likely came with his family and maybe some folks like his good friends, Archippus or Philemon, or perhaps Nympha and her husband from Laodicea. It's certainly possible. On more than one occasion, though, on this trip, Epaphras overheard people talking about an interesting new teaching that was being shared in the city. And having his curiosity piqued one morning, he inquired of someone the next time he heard the mention of this new teaching. This sounds interesting, he said to the man. Where can I learn more about this, this good news I keep hearing so many talking about? He asked a fellow in the market nearby. As he politely interrupted the conversation. And the man replied, Just a few streets over at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. There's a man teaching there every day between 11 and 4. You should come with me tomorrow. You'd be most welcome. So arrangements were made, and Epaphras met at the lecture hall the following morning. And when he arrived at the lecture hall, he witnessed something that would captivate him for the rest of his life. The crowd of people gathered included some who were congenial to the message and some who were resistant and scoffing at the message. But the most memorable thing about the day was the Jewish man that stood in the front of the gathering who taught so eloquently and passionately and happily. His name was Paul, and he proclaimed a message that would eventually become the very purpose and passion of Epaphras' own life. Paul spoke, this teacher... Of God in a singular sense Which was no surprise to Epaphras Given that Paul was a Jew But the way in which Paul described this God Was unlike anything that Epaphras had heard before Of course the God was creative and powerful And since he was describing a Jewish conception of God He was a good and forgiving God Though strict regarding standards of behavior But something was very different about this God that Paul described. This God had a Son who was also God. And while the Son was a different person than the Father God, mysteriously, He was also one with the Father. And the striking thing about this God who was the Son was that though He existed eternally with the Father as Spirit, He put on flesh and, and became a man. In fact, He had lived and died in Epaphras's own lifetime in regions of the Roman Empire that were not all that far from himself. And this person's name, who was God, was Jesus. Further, this Jesus' death had happened probably only 15 or 20 years before Epaphras arrived in Ephesus and heard Paul teaching about it. So in Epaphras's mind, there was nothing special about a man who claimed to be God and eventually died. No matter how powerful his teaching or ministry was, the fact that he was killed by crucifixion was pretty strong evidence that he was not God. But therein lie the major difference that Paul emphasized constantly. This Jesus didn't stay dead. He had resurrected three days after his death and had appeared to hundreds of people to verify his resurrection. And Paul himself claimed to have heard him and encountered him. The resurrection, according to Paul, proved... That Jesus was the God he claimed to be, the one true creator God. And still more interesting was the fact that when people heard this message of Jesus preached by his followers, miracles would happen. Those proclaiming Jesus could heal sick people. They could cast out evil spirits from people. They could see and know things about people's thoughts and the future that no human should be able to know unless they were communing with the Spirit's. The people like Paul, who taught about Jesus, had a spiritual power that dwarfed anything that Epaphras had ever seen in his life. But there was yet one more thing about Paul that to Epaphras was more intriguing than all of these other things. You see, Paul could teach with authority and work all sorts of wondrous things, but he was humble and he was kind. He wasn't like so many of the other gurus and philosophers of his day. After he got done teaching each day, he'd go off to his station in town and he'd make tents to sell in the markets. He didn't take a collection or an offering at the lecture hall to make money from his teaching. He worked hard and he was generous himself. And further, he never took credit for his amazing abilities in his life. He always credited Jesus with the power that worked in his life. Well, after some time listening and engaging in the Hall of Tyrannus, Epaphras became more curious about this Paul fellow. Paul welcomed questions and dialogue, though he never permitted what he perceived as bad or false ideas to go unchallenged. <clears throat> and amazingly, Paul made himself accessible to people after he was done teaching and debating. He did this, after all, because Jesus, his God, made himself accessible. To the lowliest of people. Perhaps Epaphras followed Paul back to his tent-making booth after the lecture hall, and maybe he had dinner with him. One way or the other, Epaphras eventually became very close friends with Paul. And we also know that eventually Epaphras himself came to believe and trust in Jesus as his God and Savior. Epaphras became a Christian. We don't really know how long Epaphras was with Paul in Ephesus, But we know from Acts 19 that Paul taught daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus for two years. Epaphras was with Paul long enough to get a good education about Jesus and this new gospel message that Paul preached. Because we learned through Paul's letter to the Colossians that Epaphras had taken the good news of Jesus back with him to Colossae. In fact, Epaphras was so faithful and passionate about sharing his new faith in Jesus that soon the message spread from just the communities within Colossae to communities in Laodicea and Hierapolis too. The Holy Spirit worked so powerfully through Paul's teaching and ministry that even though Paul himself had never been to any of those cities, churches were beginning to form throughout the whole Lycus Valley because of those like Epaphras who had encountered Paul while he ministered in Ephesus. And things were going well for some time in Colossae. More and more people were hearing about Jesus. His teachings and way of life were making quite a difference for those who received the message. They became a part of a community that was more loving and kinder than even their own families had been before they knew about Jesus. And they were growing in a spiritual sense too. They were experiencing a real relationship with Jesus, the living God who lived in their hearts, heard their prayers, answered their prayers, and worked in ways among them that strengthened their faith and confidence in Him and also catching the attention of those outside of the church as well. Epaphras' ministry was remarkably effective, and he prayed often to Jesus for those he led (coughs) to believe the gospel, praying that they would grow and mature and begin themselves to share the message that they had believed. It was a blessed and happy time in Colossae. But after a while... (coughs) things slowly began to change. The effect that Jesus had had on the people seemed as if it could be losing its luster in some ways. But not to Epaphras. Epaphras was way too busy in the work of spreading the gospel to ever feel that the power of God's Spirit could wane. But little things he noticed began to bother him. Subtle things amongst the people. And the... um, Subtle things amongst the people. And some of the people seemed to have moved on from Jesus to something new or novel that had come along. And Epaphras couldn't quite put his finger on exactly what it was or who it was coming from. But it felt foreign to him and more than a little bit dangerous. The effects of this, this new idea or teaching that he was observing in people, like I said, were subtle. Which means that they're hard to detect and prove, but they were there nonetheless. If Paphras could sense them, it seemed to him that some people were becoming more and more rigid in their behaviors and lifestyles. And because of this, they were less and less gracious and forgiving toward others. These, these people spoke often, or they spoke less than they did about grace and more about rules and restrictions and rituals. And those on a different side of the spectrum seem to be becoming too loose in their morals and treating the fleshly and physical aspect of their lives as wholly separate from the spiritual one. After all, Jesus was spirit, so our behaviors in the physical realm are unimportant to the spiritual realm, they argued. And both sides of this troubling development seemed to be governed by a yet more mysterious source because the people were beginning to discuss the importance of a deeper knowledge and a deeper spiritual experience. Many were beginning to talk about things like spiritual authorities and spiritual rulers and dominions and things like elementary principles and elementary spirits. These were some of the words that Epaphras was beginning to hear from the people and even from some within the churches of the Lycus Valley. It was as if some were beginning to believe that access to God needed to be mediated by some of these lesser spiritual beings. Epaphras noticed that some had begun to talk less and less about Jesus, and more and more about the angels and other spiritual beings. And this kept Epaphras up late into the night as he prayed for those he ministered to in Colossae and the other neighboring cities. At some point, during this emerging trouble, Epaphras made the decision that he needed help. And who better to seek the counsel of than his old friend and mentor, Paul? Now, from someone along the way, Epaphras had learned that Paul had eventually made a journey back to Jerusalem, where the Jewish temple was that was dedicated to the worship of God. And he heard that Paul had gotten into trouble. And was eventually arrested and taken to Rome to stand trial. And this didn't surprise the Epaphras that Paul was arrested. Because Paul had eventually gotten into trouble and was arrested in Ephesus. Not long after he had left and come back to Colossae. This type of thing happened to Paul pretty often actually. Not because Paul was a troublemaker. But because the message that he preached about Jesus. Caused such a stir and division in the communities where it was preached. Nonetheless... Learning that Paul was imprisoned in Rome and under house arrest, which allowed him visits from friends and a degree of liberty to have dialogue with people, Epaphras set out to find his old friend and to bring him some help. So leaving Colossae, you can put up the next map if you want to, Hannah. Leaving Colossae, he took the western road to Miletus where he got on a ship sailing westward through the Aegean between the peninsula of Greece and island of Crete. Westward, further still, between the island of Sicily and the island of Malta. Then bearing north through the Tyrrhenian Sea until he finally disembarked in Italy's capital city of Rome. A long journey. Epaphras inquired and he searched once he reached the city until he finally met a group of Christians from the church in Rome. (coughs) And these Christians welcomed him into their fellowship, and they also gave him a place to stay and food to eat. And most important to Epaphras, though, they knew where Paul was. And they visited him frequently to take him food and clean clothes and items for bathing and other things he might need to take care of himself. Because you see, in those days, the government didn't feed those who were under arrest, as Paul was. Since he couldn't leave the house where he was guarded, those he knew in the area had to bring him the things that he needed. And our Colossian friend was so excited to finally get to see his old teacher again. And when he finally arrived at the house where Paul was imprisoned, tears of joy came to both of their eyes as they greeted one another. Epaphras, my fellow servant of Christ, how good to see you, Paul cried out. I've missed you, my father, in the faith, Epaphras responded, for it had been years since they had seen one another. And the two embraced for some time, overjoyed at being reunited in friendship again. But something else very interesting occurred at that meeting with Paul in Rome that Epaphras never expected. But it ended up being a very fortuitous coincidence. That is, if you believe in coincidences, I don't personally. When Epaphras had greeted Paul, he noticed that among the others who were there visiting Paul were two of his old friends and acquaintances from Asia Minor. One of them was the man named Tychicus. Tychicus had been known from his own home province. And though Tychicus was not from the Lycus Valley, he was from the area not far from the valley and had visited the churches of Colossae and Laodicea before. The other person he knew that was with Paul that day was none other than the slave Onesimus, who had escaped from his dear friend Philemon's household in Colossae Not long after Philemon, his master, had become a Christian. And upon reaching Rome, Onesimus had been shown hospitality by some of the Christians, and he'd been taken to meet Paul along with these people. And over the course of time and after having conversations with Paul, Onesimus had come to believe in Jesus too, and he repented of his sins before God. So what a blessed day it was for Epaphras. (laughs) to be welcomed for the first time in Rome by so many brothers and sisters in Christ, and to be reunited with Paul and his old friends from Asia Minor at the same time. Now Paul was very curious as to what prompted Epaphras to take such a long journey to come and find him in person. So he and Epaphras had a very long conversation about the state of things in Colossae and the Lycus Valley. And since Paul had never been there personally, he was overjoyed to hear how many people in that region had come to know Jesus through the ministry of Epaphras. And he couldn't wait to write to the churches of those cities to encourage them in the faith and express his thankfulness to God that their faith had produced in him. But Paul was troubled, just as Epaphras was, to hear about this growing set of ideas and practices that were bringing confusion and doubt to the young Christians in those churches. Paul pondered this for some time and he decided that a letter was to be sent in which he himself would address the false teaching and encourage the people that their faith in Jesus was enough. That Jesus himself was more than enough for any of their spiritual pursuits because there is no deity higher and greater than Jesus. But drafting this letter took some time since Paul earnestly prayed over and pondered deeply just what the Lord wanted him to say. Now, during this time, as Paul was writing the letter and Epaphras was visiting Rome, something tragic and frightening happened to Epaphras while he was staying there. For some reason, Epaphras was arrested too. History doesn't record at all under what charge he was arrested. But surely a good man like Epaphras did not break any laws or cause any deliberate harm to anyone or steal anything. It's very likely that Epaphras, being ever eager to teach and preach about Jesus, was out on a gospel preaching campaign with some of the brothers of the church somewhere in the city. And some of the hearers, maybe they accused Epaphras of disloyalty to Rome for their refusal to acknowledge Caesar as God and instead proclaimed the power of Jesus. Again, we don't know why he was arrested, but this is a possible scenario for why. Well, this arrest, though, really threw a monkey wrench into Epaphras' plans to return to Colossae. How would he ever take Paul's instructions back to the churches of the Lycus if he were imprisoned? If he remained under arrest for too long, how much damage could be done to the believers there by this emerging false teaching? Epaphras prayed earnestly to the Lord for a solution. And it would seem that the Lord had already arranged for a solution to Epaphras' dilemma before Epaphras ever got to Rome. Again, I don't believe in coincidences. Because you see, it was time for Tychicus to go back home to Asia Minor. And he would begin his journey very shortly, and he wouldn't be alone. Because the slaves Philemon, the slave of Philemon, which was Onesimus, had become convicted that he needed to go back to his master's house in Colossae and to make amends for how he had wronged Philemon. Additionally, Epaphras found that the imprisonment was not all that bad anyway because he was imprisoned with Paul, his old mentor. And he found that Paul had been busy for Paul had not only drafted a letter to the church at Colossae but also to the church at Laodicea. And they were masterpieces of theological truth. And Paul even wrote a third letter, directly to Philemon of Colossae, urging Philemon to receive Onesimus back with mercy and forgiveness, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So these three letters, one for Onesimus to Philemon, one to the church of Laodicea, and one for Epaphras' dearest friends at the church of Colossae, would be hand-delivered by the reliable and faithful Tychicus and his traveling companion, Onesimus. God was indeed good to Epaphras. And it blessed his faith immensely to see how God sovereignly worked out even more good than Epaphras had planned for. So within a few days, Tychicus and Onesimus embarked on a journey from Rome. Sailing south through the Tyrrhenian Sea, then bearing eastward and sailing between the islands of Sicily and Malta, sailing eastward still between the peninsula of Greece and the island of Crete through the Aegean Sea and finally disembarking at the coastal city of Miletus back in Asia Minor. Then, the two friends, with the critically important letters in their bags, began the long walk east on the road alongside the Meander River to the beautiful Lycus Valley, wouldn't you just love to find out what was inside that masterpiece letter to the Colossians? Well, you can. You can go home and read it this afternoon after church. Kids, I bet your parents would love to read it to you because it's right here in the Bible in the New Testament. So this concludes your introduction to Colossians. Come back next week and we'll begin digging into the text of this masterpiece itself. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life of Epaphras. One of these unsung heroes in the text, in our Bibles, that just get a mention, but we don't know a whole lot about them. But Father, when we do some digging, we realized, oh my goodness, what an important role they must have played. Epaphras was one like this. And Father, I pray that each of us would know that as we take on the same important work that Epaphras took on, And that is teaching and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we we play an important role as well. Father, help us to be busy about that. Help us to be busy about sharing our faith, sharing the good news of Jesus, and spreading it far and wide. And Father, who knows, someday, 2,000 years from now, someone may write a funny little jingle about us and sing it to kids. Who knows? We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Rise for the benediction. May you be so overwhelmed with the glory of knowing Jesus that you become as devoted as Epaphras was to sharing and spreading that knowledge. And may the lyrics of my little jingle be stuck in your head all week. Depart in the peace of Christ and live like Epaphras. Amen.